Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, WBCQ, 94.7 in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook, in Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. You'll be hearing this on June 27th, Saturday. And the weather this weekend, Saturday, uh, mostly sunny with a high near 73, light and variable wind. About as good as it gets. Saturday night, chance of rain after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 53. South wind 5 to 7, chance of precipitation 40% during the night. Sunday, rain, high near 58. East wind 7 to 13. Chance of precipitation, 80%. New precipitation amounts between a quarter and a half an inch. Now, they were talking about an inch or two of rain, and that's going to go south of us. So we're looking at a quarter to half an inch of rain, which would be just right for the farmers. Not going to wash anything out. It's a rainy day Sunday, though. Sunday night, showers likely, cloudy with a low around 52 East wind, 8 to 13 miles an hour, becoming light southeast after midnight. Chance of precipitation is 60%. New precipitation between a tenth and a quarter of an inch possible. So you got a maximum of three-quarters of an inch Sunday and Sunday night, according to this. Monday, chance of showers, mostly cloudy, high near 68. West wind, 5 to 9 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation is 40%. So we're having typical early summer weather. You know, today it's beautiful, not a cloud in the sky. This is Friday is when I'm recording this. Not a cloud in the sky, uh, virtually no wind. It's really nice. The lowest gas price in the state is $2.57 in Bangor. The highest is $3.01 in Gray. The diesel price, lowest price of diesel is 273 in Machias. And the diesel price is 359 in Cumberland. And there are a lot of places in Maine where diesel is cheaper than gasoline. You know, when you've got diesel for 273 and gas selling at 301, you know, there are going to be places where 
diesel is cheaper than gas, and that's that's the way it was traditionally. You know, for years, diesel was about two thirds the price of gasoline because it's it's cheaper and easier to refine, and you don't have to put all these peculiar additives in it like ethanol. But diesel became more expensive to refine when they required that they pump uh, low-sulfur diesel. Taking the sulfur out is uh, much more expensive in diesel fuel than it is in gasoline. And gasoline, due to how light it is and how volatile it is, is much more, uh, I mean, the... The sulfur is refined out automatically, and as they take the lightest volatiles off, in other words, when you when you when you have petroleum coming out of the ground, and they pump it into tank trucks, so they pump it into pipelines. When it first comes out of the ground, much of or it first go, hits the refinery, either one you got kind of a blend, and there are gases in the liquid, just like with gases inside of a Coke bottle. It's under pressure. You take the cap off, bubbles appear, and they fizz off. That's carbon dioxide. But in petroleum, the bubbles that fizz off are uh, the various volatiles, like propane, natural gas, butane, and they effervesce at atmospheric pressure. And under heat, they also effervesce, and they capture those, and they compress them, and that's that's propane that you buy. Propane is under 160 pounds of pressure. I don't know what the pressure is in a bottle of Coca-Cola, but, you know, when you you take the cap off, it, it hisses, and the carbon dioxide begins to effervesce off. Same thing with propane. With propane... Uh, is a compressed liquid at room temperature. Standard temperature is 68 degrees. And the pressure in the propane tank will be about 160 PSI. And with the regulator, they drop it down and drop it down. And and once it gets into your house for a propane stove, it's at a very low pressure. I don't know how low it is, but it's, it's quite low. You disconnect the propane line and put your thumb over the end of it, and uh, you can stop it. So it's just really interesting what's happening with with the petroleum industry. Last I looked, it was the barrel of oil was sixty-two dollars, which is you know half the price it was last year because it's a matter of supply and demand. The supply is increasing as we find more and more of it. You know, the the chicken littles of this world running around, we're going to run out of propane, we're going to run out of gasoline, we're going to run out of diesel, no more fossil fuels. And they said, we've got to go with alternative fuels. We've got alternative fuels in Maine. It's called firewood. 90% of Maine is forested but not so in much of the world. And propane and gasoline uh, down in Colombia is subsidized 
and they sell it for fifteen cents a gallon. Because most of uh, most of the world runs on diesel. We're uh, a little different in that we run the higher cost gasoline as our primary fuel. Medway this past week, actually this week, Medway voted to uh, not to support the national park that's been proposed by Roxanne Quimby and her co-conspirators. They voted at a ratio of 5 to 2, 250 to 100 approximately. I think it was 254 to 102, but essentially it's 5 to 2 against a national park in our area. And Monday of next week, the uh, East Millinocket is going to vote. These are not binding votes. These are just a poll, essentially, to indicate the the sentiments of the population. We don't want one. The majority of the people don't want this to happen. The next step is going to be to take, to get it on a referendum ballot statewide. This will also be a poll. But as soon as they they detect the scent of approval, they jump on it. And they say, yeah, there it is. Maine people want a national park, another one. Well, that hatchet lady that came up to East Millinocket for the public hearing last week in advance of the of the uh, referendum vote let a few things out. She's just all enthusiastic about this. She was a paid lobbyist for the Wilderness Society for nine years. That's a long time, nine years. That's college education, a master's degree, a doctorate, and postdoctoral studies. You know, that's you can you can pick up a lot of education in nine years if you if you follow it and and put out the initiative. But she is a paid lobbyist for the Wilderness Society for nine years, and she knew all about buzzwords. You know, they they all want big government. Big government and less freedom, higher taxes, more spending for the government. All that money comes from somewhere. A lot of it comes from taxes, income tax, and inheritance tax, and corporate taxes of all kinds. But it also comes from gasoline tax and various other use taxes that the federal government applies. Deviation taxes. Then, uh, then you get into grants, and the grants are actually taxpayer money, most of them. But they have the most fantastic money laundering system. You've got hundreds and hundreds of foundation and trusts and groups that move money among and between themselves, and they know what the destination is. They know, and they just pass it from one to another so that it's virtually untraceable, and then eventually it lands somewhere. And I'm just going to go down through a, 
a brief list. I could use the entire show just reading down through this list. But these uh, were funds travel between these various groups before they finally land in a local area. California Endowment, the Park Foundation, the Ottinger Foundation, Acriel Foundation, the Meadows Foundation Incorporated, Ulamic Family Foundation, the second Incorporated, Wilmal Fund, Weyerhaeuser Company Foundation. Now there was a good old, you know, good old traditional forest company like the old Georgia Hardwood Lumber Company, which became Georgia Pacific. Well, the next generation is a bunch of greenies. There's an anonymous trust. There's one for you. Anonymous trust. That's the actual name of it. The Ford Foundation. Northwest Area Foundation. Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Gilman Family Foundations. The Wallace Foundation. The Fellman Family Foundation. Rose Foundation, if that's related to the Rose Law Firm, Devonwood Foundation, Kresge Foundation. Now, Kresge, the old S.S. Kresge, became Kmart. The Kresge family was a, was a family of retail merchants like the Walton family that did sorry Walmart. But the second, third, and fourth generations were pampered trust fund kids, and they became slathering left-wing liberals. Your old grandparents would turn over in their graves if they knew it. The W.T. Grant company was another one. And the Kresge family, that's this one here, became Kmart. The Weaver Foundation, Monroe Foundation, Goodnight Educational Foundation, Community Foundation of Texas, even the liberals down there, Jim Casey Youth Opportunities Initiative Incorporated, the PBL Fund. Now, I've just read off a list of, of foundations and money laundering groups that and it's way under 10% of these groups and they're all interlinked and then they've got a list of the of the uh, some of the recipients of these groups one was NARAL National Abortion Rights League Pro-Choice Foundation NAACP Justice Policy Center, Maine Conservation Network, Maine Workers Center, Community Development Corporation, the Sierra Club, Farm Stewardship Foundation, Center for Participatory Change, 
Campaign for Change, Conservation Trust. They just want it on. I mean, you could, you could spend an hour reading these things off. But these, it's like a spider web where these people just gift money all over the place. And they're all nonprofits. They don't pay any taxes. And it's very difficult to follow the money trail. But they're here. And that hatchet lady that worked for the the Wilderness Society up there in East Millinocket was very happy to announce that the, she was she was instrumental in creating four new national parks last year, and they were appropriated through the defense bill. They got some green congressman that added an amendment to the defense budget. And they created four more national parks. They now have 407 national parks in our nation, and it's not enough for them. They want more. They always want more. More spending, more control, less freedom. That's what these people are about. Just, you know, if you let it scare you, it would be scary. What you need to do is dig in and oppose these people at every single opportunity. Constitutional carry looked like it might come out of the finance committee. It was it was a, there was a fiscal note attached to it, and that that essentially stopped it. it doesn't mean it's dead. It means it stopped, tied up. And I don't pretend to know what's going to happen next. I know what could happen. The Budget Committee could take it off the table, declare that this thing is a financial boon to the state of Maine, not an added cost. The three state troopers that are involved in processing these, uh, first of all, they don't have to be troopers that perform this task. They just have to be somebody that's, that's somewhat competent in, in administrative tasks. Pretty easy to look up the record and say, is this person a threat to society, an ex-felon or not? It doesn't take a state trooper to do this. The state Three state troopers could be put on the cold case squad or shift around within the main state police. And, you know, we funded and approved a cold case squad. So somebody who's got some tenacity and wants to dig in on these old cold cases, you know, could be put on that, and that slot is going to be filled by some other trooper. And eventually, these three people that were assigned to processing concealed firearms permits will have a job. Nobody's going to lose their job. So. The Maine Woods Coalition was quite instrumental in turning the tide against Roxanne's boondoggle up there on the East Branch. And it was defeated in Medway. Now, it's it makes you feel good when people understand the threat that we face. But don't be misled 
by the idea that we've stopped it. We have not stopped it. These people will not go away. And they're funded by tax-supported institutions. In other words, these institutions that take donations, like the Nature Conservancy. Nature Conservancy has a budget of a billion dollars a year. Audubon has a huge budget. When you buy a bag of bird seed to feed to the birds in the yard, if you look at it, and down near the bottom of the package, there's a portion of your money that goes to National Audubon. Don't buy it. Feed the birds. Go to the feed store, get some bird seed, and buy one that doesn't say National Audubon on it. Don't feed that beast. Because they oppose private property when it comes right down to it. And they're very much opposed to sprawl. You get a, a Maine family. Maine has completed 24 years in the military and wants to come home. Well, what happens? He comes home and he wants to buy a piece of land and, and put in a modular home and a garage and a pole barn and plow up the field and raise some some food and have a couple of hogs and some chickens and just retire. In the military, they call it buying the farm. When you, A lot of military people want to live out in the country when they retire. And when they die in, during their service, what the other pilots say is, well, he bought the farm. You know, he's gone to heaven and he's going to farm there. But uh, that's that's just a military expression. Pilots have a sense of kind of a, a gallows humor, you know. It's like the guy getting ready to be hung. He wants to be hung with a new rope. <laughs> Doesn't want to use rope. And you know, you got a particularly bad situation. You're going to take off in a helicopter gunship in Vietnam. One of the other pilots says, "Hey, if you don't come back, can I have your camera?" You know, it's just pilots are like that. Pilots are realists, and uh, lost lost a friend this past week. It makes me think of it. Anyway, the uh, the newspaper published my uh, my Rusty Rails article. It was in the Bango Daily this past week. I forget exactly which day. This week, actually. I wrote about rusty rails on our railroads. Railroad was built to haul freight and sometimes passengers. You know, they had a depot in Lincoln where people could get on the train and go to Bangor. But uh, the depot hasn't been used in a long, long time. People can jump in the car and go to Bangor. Very economically, beautiful interstate highway. No muddy ruts going down through Argyle and Edinburgh and places like that. The old roads that ran down along the river, you know, were pretty ruddy, and they, it was it was a tough trip to Bangor. The railroad was much more convenient. Railroad still is convenient if you're moving heavy freight, bulk cargo, like carloads of clay to make paper. Paper contains clay. Most the printing papers, like Xerox paper that you run through the copier, 
this clay in that paper so that you don't see the writing on the opposite side. It improves the opacity. It means light doesn't shine through it as well. It also makes a smoother surface for high-quality printing. Lot two making paper. But we're not moving much bulk. And just this week, Congressman Pelican, rather, uh, mentioned that Madison paper is at risk of, of cutting back their production because of the plant that was built in Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia. Well, I was in that plant. It's a beautiful, modern, new plant. And they've got huge subsidies. Essentially, Canadian paper companies get free wood from Crown lands. The government owns the land, and the paper company foresters manage the trees. But it's, it's, it's free wood from the government. When you mention that in a Canadian paper bill, they get all, all huffy about it, but it's free wood. The public owns the trees, and these companies don't pay anything for the trees. Well, if our mills got free wood, you know, they would have a much better, much better opportunity. Now, I don't advocate for free wood. That's not, not my point. My point is that the Canadians have an unfair advantage over us. So we uh, Madison is facing a big problem. Now, to go back 20 years, Angus King was governor. And Madison bought a bunch of old, run-down apartment houses along the Kennebec River, and they removed them. They demolished them. And the people that lived there, most of them were vacant. But the people moved out of town into other low-income housing. Not When I say out of town, out of the village along the river. And Madison was going to build another paper machine. And the president of Finland came over, and the president of Milioski Oi, which is, owns Madison. Most of our paper mills are foreign-owned, like Sappy. That's a South African pulp and paper industry. Madison by, doesn't own any forest land. Never did. The only land they own is about six acres in the woods right outside of town where they have a lodge, a guest house. So when, when they bring their customers to the mill, these large major printers like R.R. R. Donnelly out in Chicago, Acada Graphics in Buffalo, New York, and some of the big newspapers, but Madison makes a higher quality paper than newsprint. They're publishing people. And when they come to the mill, they would have them stay out in this beautiful lodge out in the woods, and the customers don't realize that it's on a five-acre lot. All they see is trees and woods and hospitable people, and it's a, it's a very enjoyable experience to visit the mill. The president of Finland stayed there, and the president of Milioski Oi, and they toured the mill, and Angus King joined them, and they had a clam bake and lobster. They went through the mill, and they were going to announce a new paper machine for Madison, and they all piled into their vehicles and went back down to the 
airport in Augusta, and there sitting waiting at, at Augusta was Pin One, like Air Force One. It was the Finnish national uh, jet, and he came, he couldn't fly direct to Finland. He fly from Augusta to Newfoundland or Labrador, and then from there to Iceland, and from there probably to Norway, and from there to Finland, several hops, because it wasn't that big a jet. But it was their, their president's jet. Angus King used to have his own airplane, too, by the way. But anyway, there ABC, CBS, NBC, local, local stations are all lined up there with their cameras running, and they said, well, what about this new paper machine? What about all these jobs? And the president of Bilyoski Oi turned around on the airplane steps and he said, well, you sure have good lobster. And they got on the plane and they flew back to Finland and they built the mill in Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia. Now, why did that happen? That happened because Angus King said to the Bilyoski Oi's president, where do you think you're going to get your wood? They don't own any forest land. And at the time, they were trying to promote the compact, C-O-M-P-A-C-T. Citizens owning main property are considered trespassing. All of these neologisms have meanings, like NATO. Everybody knows what NATO means, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And that mill over in Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia, beautiful, big new paper machine. You might as well call it Angus King's machine. Because he's the one that blew Madison out of the water, and he was the cause of that mill being built because Stora was planning on building a mill over there, but they weren't going to build it if Madison built theirs because Madison is closer to the markets. But Madison pulled back because of the uncertain wood supply, and they built it in Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia, and I was there. I wasn't in and there at the airplane in Augusta, but I was working in Canada at that time and talked to all of those executives over there. And uh, that's the way it went down. Maine Woods Coalition has done a good job of shining the bright light of truth on this national park situation. And the They've got a really nice map that shows that Roxanne Quimby and her corporation, the Elliottsville Plantation National Recreation Area that she proposes, uh, they don't own the land that they want to be want to be in the park or the National Recreation Area, whatever you want to call it. There are 48 other landowners in there that are nervous because they're afraid the same thing might happen to them as what happened to the citizens that own property in the Cuyahoga Valley in Ohio, in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. And right now, there's a family beside the Shenandoah Valley, right today, that are being threatened because these different foundations that have deep pockets are trying to force them out because they can see their farm from inside the park boundary. And they feel that this 
human use of land that abuts the park ruins their viewscape or their viewshed. That's a new word that came out during the compact fight, the viewscape. And you get up on top of Mount Katahdin, I've been there a number of times on a cool day, and you can see the mill at Millinocket. You can see the mill in Eastmont, Millinocket. You can see the mill in Lincoln. You can see the mill in Old Town, and you can see the mill in Bucksport because you've got moist air coming out of the mill. They dry the paper, and warm air goes up through the roof, and you can see the warm air condensing in the atmosphere as as little clouds of, of water vapor. And you can see them all. And some of the kilns that are drying wood, such as in Lincoln, they had the old uh, they had a sawmill in Lincoln where they kiln dried the wood, and on a, on a cool day there'd be a vapor plume over the mill where they were drying drying the lumber. They don't want to see that. What they want to see is no human use, and it's a hundred kilometers from the park, sixty-two mile radius. They don't want anything new within that 62 miles that can be seen from the park. It's in the law. It's not just some idea. It's in the law. And if this thing happens to northern Maine, it's going to crush development with the exception of the development that they like. You know, they'll put in a few motels, a few restaurants, and a few places, boat launches and one thing or another. But they don't want any industry. The only way to create value and prosperity in a nation is to manufacture goods and export those goods. That brings cash flow into your country. If you create value and sell it, the person that created it or the company that created it makes a profit, and they buy more raw material, they hire more people, they produce more products, and ship more products. And they talk about the gross domestic product, goods and services. Goods are physical things that you make out of raw materials, such as paper and lumber, various other forest products. Firewood, when you process firewood, you're adding value to it. Maine is a great, great state for for wood. We've got the we've got the best softwood pulp in the world. Is northern spruce, bleached spruce. Chinese are going to build eight tissue mills in Baileyville, Maine. Eight of them. There goes a farm tractor going by with a baler. They're getting ready to start cutting hay right now. There goes the baler. Hay has added value. We produce beef. The next door neighbor raises beef. But we, uh, the service industry, on the other hand, doesn't produce very much added value. You need services. And we have uh, 
you know, the service industry is uh, lawyers, uh, real estate brokers, people that that do laundry, clean the sheets, put the sheet clean sheets back on the bed, restaurants, and uh, all kinds of service industries. The guy that sharpens the lawnmower blades and the guy that fixes your chainsaw, they're all service industries. They don't produce new products. They provide a service. And it's an important part of our economy, no question about it. But when they're done, they can't. the product doesn't get resold or exported. And service industry is an important part of any any country's production or economy, I should say. It's not really production. Their work is important, and we need services to keep our civilization going. I don't mean to demean the service industry, but at the same time, it doesn't bring new money into the country unless it's a tourist. Now, if you've got a tourist that comes from Germany and goes to Bar Harbor, spends a bunch of money in Bar Harbor, well, that money is is a contribution to our economy. So the tourist, tourism industry is good, but you have to have an attraction. The coast of Maine is very picturesque. It's much more picturesque than most of the coasts in Europe. Now, you've got Portugal is a pretty place, and you've got the Riviera just south of France. Monaco is a pretty place. But most of the coasts of Europe are either industrial or residential. And they're just not really desirable tourist destinations. And then the other side of the Mediterranean, uh, in Tunisia yesterday, they massacred 28 people. They were sitting on the beach near a hotel in Tunisia, nice sandy beach on the Mediterranean, enjoying their vacation, and they're wearing bathing suits. Well, Muhammad and his terrorists don't like bathing suits, so they killed 28 of them and wounded a whole bunch more. They machine gunned them. They're wearing bathing suits in Tunisia. Folks, if you're planning on going on a tour and you want to go visit a new place, it's probably not a good idea to go to a Muslim country and wear bathing suits. Just just a, a caution, you know. You want to wear bathing suits, go to Florida, North Carolina, or Old Orchard Beach, which they call the Quebec Riviera. Wear your bathing suit there. Less likely to be a Muslim terrorist at Old Orchard Beach than there is in Tunisia. I don't care what the hotel costs. These were European people at this resort in Tunisia. The resort owner is going to be distressed because fewer people are going to go to that resort in Tunisia. This is not hard to figure out. Yesterday, an Iraqi F-16 owned by Iraq and flown by an Iraqi pilot went down in the western United States. Fortunately, he didn't fly it in the front door of some building. But it's something we need to think about. 
You know, maybe he had a mechanical failure in the aircraft. Maybe it was pilot error. Don't know. I mean, the F-16 is a fly-by-wire aircraft. But the pilot still has a great deal of influence over where it goes and what it does. Pilots have a, a, a an activity that they pursue from time to time called flat-hatting. And you're not supposed to do that for entertainment of the pilot. Now, it's necessary to follow nap of the earth. In other words, follow the terrain in an aircraft to stay below the radar, to sneak up on the enemy, pop up, shoot, duck back down again. Been there, done that, wore out the T-shirt. So this F-16 went down and hit the ground and, when an F-16 at a high rate of speed hits the ground, they're not sure if the pilot is in it or not. I'll just leave it at that. I uh, have a friend from England who worked in the SAS, the Special Air Service, which is like our SEALs in England. And during the Falklands War, uh, two A-4s did not return to the carrier. And they didn't know what happened. You know, there was no distress call, and they didn't know if they'd been shot down by the, as they say, the Argies or the Argentinians, who also claimed the Falklands Islands. They have a different name for it. They just didn't know what happened. And then somebody found that it was an aircraft crash just below the top of a cliff. And the SAS went out there with a helicopter and this guy that I know uh, rappelled down the cliff. And he got down there and found aircraft wreckage. And he found evidence that uh, the pilot was still in the aircraft because the ejection seat was still there. Ejection seats are rugged. And they got some, he got some tissue samples and put them in a Ziploc bag, stuck them in his, in his flight jacket, or his, his coveralls, because that's the evidence that you're going to have. And then he, he saw the tail hook. Now, only Navy aircraft have tail hooks for the most part. And then he saw a second tail hook. Huh. No aircraft has two tail hooks. What happened is the two A4s hit that cliff. The lead pilot misjudged and came in just below the cliff and the, his wingman was watching the lead pilot and they both hit the cliff at a high rate of speed and they both died. But they, they never would have realized it if he hadn't found the second tail hook because there was just a lot of aluminum and, and other stuff. Flying a military aircraft can be hazardous, and if you if you're flying too low, and just they they have a name for it, they call it flatheading. Sometimes tactically it's necessary to fly low, but at high rates of speed, it doesn't take much of a mistake to touch the ground. Whether it's flying into the side of a cliff or whether it's just touching the ground, if you just bounce on the ground a little bit, it is going to come 
disassembled. You know, you had it. There is no time to recover. You're just done. But in considering the ramifications of an Iraqi-owned F-16 flown by an Iraqi pilot, ISIS has a whole lot of Iraqis. Okay? A lot of Iraqis, let me rephrase that, a lot of ISIS members are Iraqis. Whichever Muslim sect you happen to belong to, you're a Muslim over there. They don't get along well with each other. I mean, they agree that that non-Muslims are bad, okay? But within the Muslim faith, so to speak, if you want to call it a faith, they don't get along with each other. And even within certain sects of tribes, they don't get along with each other. So we've got... Iraqi F-16s flying around in our country with Iraqi pilots in them. Now think about that for a minute. Is this a good idea? Or is this not a good idea? Because an F-16 will go more than twice the speed of sound. You're not going to hear him coming. And if he's flying along at relatively low altitudes... At a high rate of speed, he can fly into whatever building he wants to fly into, undetected. He can turn off the identification friend or foe, IFF, and just turn off his radio and just leave his GPS running, and he can go wherever he wants to go if he's got enough fuel, and fly into the most vulnerable target, which will have the greatest effect in our country, which would be places where there are large numbers of people, sports stadium, university, elementary school, state legislature, capital of a state, anything within reach, just draw a radius for where an F-16 could go. Iraqi-owned aircraft, now they flew here. They they hooked up with with uh, KC-135 tankers. So when it's time for this guy to fly back to Iraq with his F-16, you know he's going to need a stop in between to rest. You can't fly an F-16 all the way to Iraq without sleep. And they'll have to refuel on the way. Some countries don't want him to land there. So they re- air air refuel. And this guy's obviously he's flying an F-16. He's got to be a good pilot. Yeah, he's got to be skilled. But he made a mistake. It's unlikely that the F-16 came apart due to structural failure. He likely made a mistake. And these things happen. But I think that we ought to reconsider the wisdom of having Iraqi-owned F-16s flown by Iraqi pilots in our country. You know, I personally don't think it's a good idea because the odds are that one of these pilots is going to be an ISIS operator. 
There's a heck of a lot of them. And to have them flying an F-16 is just not a good idea, in my considered opinion. When I was in Vietnam, we trained a whole bunch of of UDT people, Vietnamese, un, un, underwater demolition teams. Now, these guys are, are like SEALs in some respects. You know, they're not as, as well-trained as our SEALs, but we did train these people in underwater demolition techniques and scuba diving. And when the class was over, they left a thank you note behind because every single one of them was Viet Cong. All of them. We trained the VC in underwater demolition techniques. It happened. It's called political correctness. Political correctness is eating us alive right now in our country. Listed a house this week in Leeming. House is right on Route 6. Convenient to downtown Lee, if you can can call Lee downtown. But, you know, you can walk to the post office. You can walk to the local general store. And it's a nice old house. It's it's got uh, a brand-new hot water baseboard heat. It's got a brand-new vinyl siding, which is sort of a, a, a yellowish tan, which is a traditional home color in colonial United States. They used to make paint out of out of uh, yellowish clay. And it's got uh, a new roof. But the biggest factor is that it's got a backyard that's the size of Fenway Park. Consider the grassy area of the ball field. You know, from the from the batters from home plate to the outfield, going out first base, going out third base, the area of Fenway Park is what this backyard is, and it's grass. It's more it's a mowed lawn, and it's four acres. That's what Fen, that's what the area not not the whole stadium, but the area, the grassy area of Fenway Park. That everybody has seen that. That's the backyard of this house. Eighteen apple trees of various varieties. And it's got black walnut trees. And last year they had a big crop of black walnuts. And if you ever wanted to make a gun stock, you could saw one of those limbs off and and dry it. And black walnut gun stocks are a wonderful thing. It's a unique opportunity to buy a house. And it's fifty four nine. Knew the gentleman that owned it. And one year, uh, he was awarded the use of a four-stroke snowmobile, long track, powerful snowmobile, brand new. He had it for a year because he was the groomer of the year, snowmobile trail dragon. And as a a, 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 snowmobile for a year, every year he bought it. This thing was sitting out in the yard, and he had a black lab. And he was in the kitchen, and the black lab was looking at this new thing sitting in the yard. Over there, and took a sniff, and 
in a three-cylinder uh, Suzuki engine, four-stroke, and he hit the remote start from the kitchen, and that snowmobile started up with nobody near it, and that black lab belt did a backflip getting away from it. <laughs> so the following weekend, he was going to go snowmobile, and he took the cover off, and that black lab went went over, and he approached the snowmobile cautiously, and he started looking it over and took a sniff. And just as he took a sniff, the owner hit the remote start from the kitchen, and that back black lab bit the seat and ran around the house. See, but it's a, it's quite a unique house. It's got a, a kitchen is 24 feet by 15 feet. It's a big kitchen. You could put a big table for a big family in there, and or have have a bunch of guests in big living room, dining room, three bedrooms, shed out back, and there's a about a. 12 by 16 shed, I haven't measured it, but in the back there's a 12 by 16 shed approximately. Where you could put some ATVs, the lawnmower, and your snowmobiles in there and keep them out of the weather. No garage. The only downside is no garage, but that's easily remedied. You could plenty of room to put a garage there with four acres in the backyard. So somebody's going to buy that. Quite a, quite a good opportunity. Schools in the area too. We've got a, a growing underground economy. We've got 93 million Americans between the ages of 18 and 65 not working. Now, some of these folks are on welfare; it need to be. But these folks are not starving to death. Some are taking advantage of the food pantries that exist all over the country. We've got a nice one in Lee it, uh, where people come. And, and I have started picking up food and bringing it to the food pantry. And it's things that are over age, didn't sell, didn't need to carry as much, stock as much at the, at the food uh, market. There, used, there was a time a few years ago when there used to be a lot of government paint, peanut butter government pasta, government cheese, powdered milk, that kind of stuff is what was available at these food pantries. But Michelle Obama says we should not be eating cheese, we should not be eating pasta, we should be eating vegetables. And they shut it off. Congress doesn't realize it, but that's what happened. So those those commodities are not issued or available at the food pantry. Once in a while, uh, you might get uh, a box that's been damaged. You know, you, People don't want to buy the can that's been dented. And if you've got a box of macaroni or spaghetti or something, and through rough handling, there's, there's a dent in the box. It's still good food. But if the packaging is marred in any way, they just take it and set it aside, and they donate it to the food cupboards. But Michelle Obama is trying to reform school lunches and do all kinds of things. Lady Bird Johnson's thing was highway beautification. Make the interstates look pretty. And, you know, that happened. 
lots of lots of companies, you know, planted flowers and trees and stuff along the interstates as a as a tax write off and you know, to try to make our country prettier. That's a good thing. I don't see anything wrong with that. The firearms bill, uh don't know where that is. It's I'll update you the first time I know. But I mentioned the 93 million Americans of working age not working. There has been a huge drop in durable goods purchases. I'm talking about refrigerators, washing machines, kitchen stoves, things of that nature. At the same time, there's been an uptick in sales through the discount chains, such as Walmart and and Kmart and various others, they're doing a little better. But the mid-grade, mid-price outfits like Macy's and JCPenney, they're they're a little, little above the Walmart. But there's a couple of them down there in Bangor. Boy, I tell you, look at those entrances where their big stores are. Not many people park there. Very few people there. I, I had occasion twice in the last year to go down to an optometrist in the Bangor Mall. And I go there because the optometrist is a pilot. I'm a pilot. He understands aviators. The average person doesn't really understand aviators. <laughs> aviators are different than the average bear. They have to be. So... We've got the drop in durable goods, and you walk through the mall, and there's, there's people moving around there, but then you realize these people are in there to walk and exercise. They're not shopping. You just go in, and they walk around, and they know each other, and they walk around in air-conditioned comfort in the summertime and a nice warm place in the wintertime, and they're exercising. Well, it's probably safer to have you know, quite a few people in there than it is to have somebody who may cause some harm in some way. They've got a bunch of average people in there, and probably a few of them have concealed firearms on them, even when they're wearing a sweatsuit. That's a good thing. The Baltic Dry Index is fluctuating. The Baltic Dry Index, which is an indicator of the moving freight, bulk goods, bauxite, uh, gypsum. Gypsum is, is what's between the two sheets of paper and sheetrock. Bauxite is aluminum ore. And all kinds of bulk cargo, whether it's corn or oats or wheat, it goes in a bulk cargo ship. And the Baltic Dry Index... And it's at its all-time low in March this year. And in the middle of June this year, it's fluctuating. But it's still 14.3% below last year at the same time. So we've we've got a, a situation where, yes, every time you see a little uptick, they say, oh, good, the Baltic Dry Index is up. Well, the following week it drops and they don't report it. <laughs> it's just like the the 
mainstream media, ABS, ABC, CBS, NBC, every time there's an uptick, they say, oh, Obama's doing a good job. We're having an uptick. They don't talk about it when it drops because that's not their agenda. You have to do a little, dig a little deeper. And that's what I do. Remember, I talked about Libor. Those people, there's quite a few people actually follow this program, and I get fan mail and comments. Sometimes you wonder, but uh, I spoke about Libor, and it's they set interest rates. A bunch of guys in a boiler room in New Jersey set the interest rates for the world. It's it's a crazy system. It, it does exist. Well, they just hit them hard with corruption. But when you can make a guy millions of dollars by ordering some Chinese takeout food, there's a flaw in the system. And that happened. And maybe I'm one of the ones that blew the whistle. I don't know. Okay. We have reached 10 o'clock. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show. Kind of entertaining. Next week, I'm going to talk about my, our upcoming trip. I'm going to get the 50th anniversary, almost, of first trip down the, the West Branch for my sons. They're going to take me on a canoe trip, or I'm going to take them. It'll be a mutually agreed-upon effort. So we're going down the the West Branch anyway, last weekend in August. And if there's not enough water, we'll do something different. But it's going to be fun to get out with my two sons and take a canoe trip. I'm trying to scroll down to the, the closing here. I'll find it in a minute. Here we come. Side-by-side pictures of Barack Obama's wife and Putin's wife. I wonder who won that contest. Okay, this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, WBCQ 94.7 in Monticello, and all the way down to Danforth, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Enjoy the weekend tomorrow. Get inside and just kind of tune up your fishing equipment on Sunday or go out in the rain. Fish bite in the rain. But it is going to rain Sunday. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. Step into the world of power, loyalty. 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.